1: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Jason Brown, and I'm a cloud solutions architect with Bright Brain Networks, uh, and I'm your host for today. Joining me is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Howdy. And we also have uh, business technology consultant, Joe Coleman. All right, how's it going, guys? Just a uh, reminder, if any listeners have any
2: questions at all during the discussion here, throw it right there in the chat, and I'll make sure to uh,
1: jump in, make sure it gets addressed, and we all dive in on it. So thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Uh, and also joining us today is our subject matter expert, Preston Frazier, Senior Software Engineer from the Interoper- Interoperability Institute. Uh, welcome back, Preston. Yeah, nice to be back with you guys. Awesome. All right. In this episode, we're going to discuss uh, serverless data stores. So let's get started. Um, So what are serverless data stores? Um, So just a quick definition. Um, A serverless data store is a, uh, it's a type of cloud-based service that allows you to store and retrieve data without the need to manage server infrastructure or provision resources. So it abstracts away um, the complexity of managing servers, scaling, maintenance, uh, and so on, so that um, engineers can just focus on um, application logic and uh, data management. Um, I noticed so you
2: just can of... throw in the, has to scale to zero as part of your serverless uh, requirement. <laughs> that uh, That is part of mine, even though, yes, it's kind of going away, especially with latest yeah. AWS releases.
1: No, I mean you. You bring up a, a very valid point, um, which is yeah, like the 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 true definition of serverless is having the ability for uh, it to scale down completely to zero. Um, so actually, I'd like to to um, if you could expand on that a little bit, Tom. Like what what kinds of things would you consider um, would would be serverless uh, versus things that would not be serverless?
2: Yeah. If- to me, the uh, one of the greatest benefits of it is being able to have production like copies, right? If we're talking about functions compute data, uh, to have production like copies for your integration environments, your testing mm-hmm. environments, dev environments, and you know, being able to scale down to zero enables that. Uh, when you have to pay even for a little bit, right? Just that that uptime of like a you know, keeping it alive or, you know, that little bit of provisioned concurrency, they'll sometimes call it, uh, it adds up. You know, it, it doesn't allow you to have, you know, a development environment for every single branch, every developer, every team um, that's exactly production-like. And I feel, you know, if you have that scale to zero, like a, a Dynamo, I'm sure we're, we'll dive into some of these uh, a little more, but like a Dynamo goes right to zero if you're doing the uh, that type of concurrency, um, the on-demand provisioning. Uh, you, you can have that. You can have exactly production-like copies in, in all of your environments. So that's that's what it means to me. I got to throw that out there whenever we talk serverless, that scale to zero is a big factor.
1: Right, yeah. And I know in some of our previous conversations, we um, talked a little bit about Aurora and Aurora serverless. Um, and I think that you had mentioned that um, like previously when Aurora first uh, uh, dropped, that um, it did have the capability to scale to zero, but sort of the the, the V2 Aurora serverless, um, they they took that away. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, they make you have at least uh, like a 0. 0.5 compute units as uh, the lowest it'll scale down to for the version two. So it's kind of a bummer, right? They kind of stopped development on the V1, and the even though there's also features that are on the V1 um, that aren't in V2 yet. So, um, but yeah. It does not scale to zero the V2,
1: so. right? Yeah, I, I will say it is worth uh, mentioning that um, you do get um, quite a lot of similar advantages uh, from using the the Aurora um, serverless V2, but um, there, yeah, there it's there's still some things that that it is lacking to your point. But um, but yeah, I wanted to uh, Preston to, to pick your brain a, a little bit about that. Speaking of the the advantages, like what what would you consider the the key advantages of using serverless data stores um, like DynamoDB in AWS or uh, Google Cloud Firestore um, like over traditional database solutions?
0: You know, I I think it's like one of, we just talked about, you know, that cost factor, you really can control that based on what your usage is. Um, That's that's a critical part of serverless. getting getting started up, you know, the overhead of you know using the database. I mean, we know with cloud platforms that mo the services are managed. So even if you're not using a serverless data store like you know traditional RDS, it's RDS is still a managed service. So it's still easy to get set up and get going. Um it's just you're, it's not that's not serverless, so it, I, th- I think it really comes down to that that cost point, um, using as much as you need when you need it on demand. That that's where it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of like to compare the on the database side.
1: I like to compare that to the compute side, where like with those RDS um, instances that you can configure, similar to EC2 instances on the compute side, um, but with RDS, I mean you'd still need to configure things like. Um, you know, how much CPU and memory you're going to need for your instances, what the um, the scaling uh, looks like if it's in a cluster, um, you know, uh, backup and maintenance tasks, um, configuring like scheduled backups and things. So yeah, there's there's definitely a difference there in terms of the the amount of management that that um, uh, is required. So um, but yeah, so. Um, uh, Let's see, Uh, Tom, I was curious, do do you know of any like um, real world world examples of like um, certain organizations that are leveraging serverless data stores um, for that cost effectiveness and scalability?
2: Yeah, um, I've done it in a a few of the projects, organizations that I've worked for. It's usually newer um, applications uh, that that can handle that. Um, But yeah, pretty much anything new. That I've built, or you know, a team that I've built, we've leveraged a serverless data store. Uh, haven't ran into a situation where we couldn't.
1: Yeah, it's just that easy to to get up and get started. Um, yeah, one thing too I'd like to also bring up is that um, you know we've been sort of comparing. Uh, we, we've been we mentioned a few few services already like um, uh, Dynamo DB um, and the. There's uh, a tendency for these um, cloud services that use uh, that provide serverless data stores to be NoSQL. Uh, it's like a common theme throughout a lot of the, these cloud platforms. Um, so I kind of like to dive in a little bit more into the um, the NoSQL uh, side of the conversation. Um, so, uh, Preston, like, uh, how how does the flexibility of, of schema less uh, data modeling in serverless data stores um, benefit engineers? Like, what what are some of the advantages of that, um, like doing a, a schema, with, data modeling without a schema?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think, you know, back to a previous question about um, an advantage, uh, we talked about, you know, startup time on developing. So I think, you know, being able to prototype really quickly uh, is, um, you know, A NoSQL database really lets you, you know, prototype is is how you want um, very quickly. Uh, You can transition, not to say you can't drop and add columns in a relational database really fast in an other environment as well, but um, I think you really get options to to prototype well. Obviously, as you move to production, it's easy on the fly, too, to change, um, you know, the schema. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good data model because I've seen situations where um, having a schema data store, uh, you get all different types of attributes in there as engineers add new features and they're not still, um, you know, staying true to a specific data model. Having a data model is still important to, you know, know what the schema should be um but it, it certainly gives you that flexibility to to, to add things and um and, and also you know like i said getting started it's easy um i i think you know starting out with something like dynamo NoSQL is a great start um but i've also had uh experiences and um you know projects that i've built where eventually you move away from dynamo because of a few reasons maybe we'll talk about that later um but it's a great place to start with um in terms of just getting up speed yeah and it's, it's yeah absolutely. it's kind of it's kind of the the, the opposite
2: if you think about it. everyone thinks like the flexibility you know of of no but especially in the case of dynamo you really have to think about your um your read patterns and and usage uh kind of up front and how that may uh evolve over time uh, whereas, you know, you do have that flexibility in a relational database because you can just do joins, you know, anytime you want. But, yeah, you know, with Dynamo, it really makes you, you know, kind of have to think about that, those uh,
0: those access patterns. Um, yeah, exactly. You, you can, uh, you know, you know, you can index a relational database any way you want with a NoSQL database like Dynamo. You, you can do secondary indexes. Um, but you really have to choose, like you said, what your read patterns are because it's Probably not as flexible in terms of um querying data in every way you want. Um, it's it's more, I would say, more powerful and it you have a specific read pattern, like you said, you you want to pull specific data in a specific way. Um, and so once your use case changes, let's say you get another request from the business where, oh, I want to query data this way from your data store. Uh, well, then you might get in a position where either you have to add a new index or uh, maybe you need to set up a different data model. So, um, agreed. I would say it's not as flexible as a relational database in that sense.
1: Right, absolutely, yeah. Um, another thing that I, I wanted to touch on as well, as I think you had brought up, um, you know, as as the uh, the nature of the application that uses the database changes and in the in the data model changes um like how that uh how that propagates um and how that uh, manifests in in production um i I can tell you guys like some of the most complicated aspects of um some of the projects that i've worked on in the past are how do we handle changes to uh to the data model you know how do we handle changes to the schema for like a, a relational database there are some Tools that help with that, um, and you can integrate that as part of like any, uh, you know, C D solution that you have when when uh, upgrading new versions. But you know, it, there there is a definite process that has to happen to handle changes to to your data model for something that's already running in production. Um, like the so one of the things I like about um, uh, like Dynamo, for example, uh, for the serverless data stores is that the process by which you can do that is is a lot easier but there still needs to be a process the, like what you guys are saying <laughs> so yeah definitely in agreement there um, so so tom uh like w- what what can, what would you consider to be um, really good use cases where you'd want to use serverless data stores versus something like a more traditional relational database
2: uh, you, you comes down, I feel, also to the the team and how comfortable they are, right? You can, you know, there's little trade-offs here and there, but, you know, it, it really comes down to how comfortable the team is, right? If if they are good with, uh, with NoSQL and Dynamo, you can, it's pretty much limitless what you can do, you know, there's going to be gotchas on some edge cases, so... Yeah, I really feel like it's not so much the, the application, um, it's more the, the team that's going to be um, uh, working on it, I feel like plays a, a lot bigger factor into
1: it. That's my experience. Interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that as well, Preston?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, Dynamo is is, is going to work for you, um, probably in the beginning. Um, I, I think maybe once your your workflow matures, you might decide maybe Dynamo is not, not what you want maybe you will need another data store um but I, I think you know in terms of getting off the ground the cost factor for developing it's a great place to start
2: so what are some yeah. of the the things that you think might change um because I, I feel like oh um,
0: yeah yeah I really talked about I'd really like talk about that um I you it. know uh one of the the use cases we do at, at, at my a company is we process a lot of messages. Uh, we route healthcare messages uh, around. and um, we we've used Dynamo for several different scenarios and um, we've really ran into some performance issues with the amount of requests that we can send to Dynamo at one time. Um, even though it's a serverless database, where it will scale up to meet your requests. It may not scale fast enough in terms of the number of requests you have. We've really identified that uh, the way Dynamo scales is it expects a steady increase in your workload, whereas spiky workloads are not as well supported by that kind of system. And now there is Potential where you can provision concurrency for the the databases, but then you're starting to, um, I guess, lose the spirit of the serverless nature of Dynamo when you're provisioning this kind of concurrency already, where you're paying for potentially um, this amount of performance running and not using it. Um, so we've ran into scaling events where we've had um, a large spike in data. And Dynamo just rejects those requests, so, uh, so we decided on, that kind of workload. Not... Go ahead. So, is
2: it on like a specific partition? I don't know, like dive into it and try to like solve this, but I am intrigued by it. Right? I have I have seen it where, yeah, if it's like a hot spot, like a certain partition, right, like that won't scale fast enough. But but if the workload is distributed, you know, across you know the the keys are good and you don't have those hot spots, it's not as big of an issue.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a scaling issue on like putting records in the database, so it couldn't handle the influx of data not necessarily reading um, that. So we decided to move off of that um, to a actually different service. Uh, AWS uh, supports called ElastiCache that um, we decided to go to Redis actually for um, the use case we were working on. Um, which is an in-memory database, uh, and Elastic Cache allows the memory to to scale pretty much um, on the fly, which is nice. Um, so, in terms of like high throughput, uh, we ran into uh, you know a little bit of issues with Dynamo there. All right? Um, were you using Dynamo
1: for um, some other uh, use cases? Uh, we do and
0: we you know dynamo works great for a lot of other use cases we use it to store configurations for applications um you know data where you're infrequently looking it up Um, you know we store a lot of configurations where we can cache those configurations in our applications for a few minutes so to cut down on requests um, you know since it's it's NoSQL, it's easy to query on partition keys and pull back specific data that you already know um what to look for. Um, you know, Dynamo starts getting more and more, I would say expensive, not necessarily in the cost, but in the performance when you have to do large scans on the entire data set. Um, use cases where you have to do that or you know you'd need to think about it. but that's something you probably want to try to avoid if you can, scanning the entire database um because that is a slow um, slow process to do that if you have a lot of records,
2: yeah, it should really only be like batch or you know if you're doing like modifications to something or like a analytical thing where you're moving it to somewhere else. but yeah, if it, try to avoid the the scan if you're if it's like you know production customer facing for
1: sure mhm. Right. Yeah. Actually, you just touched on something, Tom, that um, uh, something that um, I really like about using Dynamo, too, is that it's really easy to to store like raw data. You know, if you if if you're uh, part of um, if you have a process that needs to uh, have some kind of ETL or data transformation, I mean, you can store that data directly in Dynamo without having to worry about the denormalization or the the normalization or or. Anything like that uh, beforehand, right? So, like, you can just store it in Dynamo and then have that potentially trigger um, some kind of an ETL process that can pick it up and store it and uh, uh, change it, transform it to whatever form it needs to be for um, downstream processes, which is, is really nice. Um,
0: but anyway, the, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna, you know, add on just another one of the kind of tricks but this is kind of just with experience over using Dynamo over time. Um, it's important to remember that uh, the way it works is it will read a certain amount of data and then return it. Um, so it's imp- I think it's uh, maybe one megabyte of data maximum that will return at a time. Uh, so it's important when using this data store that if you are doing like a large number, you're pulling back a large number of records or you're, your data store is uh, very big, you might need to continue to iterate for a long time before you find all your records. Um, I guess maybe to rephrase that is, you know, even if you're scanning an index or querying an index in this database, um, you might need to continue to iterate, you know, they give you a token back for the next page of results, so to say. Um, And that's just one of the extra things you need to do. You can't just run the query once, you might need to run it multiple times to continue processing through the entire data set. Right, yeah, and I would consider that um, uh,
1: best practice. I mean, that's that's part of understanding your access patterns for your application and, and designing your um, your table around that, you know, building your indexes accordingly, uh, making sure that you're, uh, like you're saying, um continuing to to read um uh, like w- with pagination essentially um but yeah what other what other best practices would you guys consider um that or what should would you recommend that people consider when using um uh, serverless data stores
0: um you know i think uh we, we touched on this earlier too i think uh you know number of requests that you're making to the databases um for relational databases connection pooling um in the serverless world uh let's say you're using some a container environment like lambda where maybe you're scaling up a bunch of containers you know thousands and those containers all have to connect to the database um you can easily run out of connections uh if you your container amount you know exceeds the connection limit um and and so um there needs to be um, you know, a design for how you're gonna handle all those connections. Do you need to cache results from the databases and only connect to the databases um, so often? Uh, do you need to set up some kind of connection pooling system? AWS offers something like, um, I think it's a uh, connection proxy or something for RDS environments, and I think that works with Aurora too um to basically have a connection pooling service uh just for the databases but um yeah number of requests that you're making to the database i think is a a huge consideration when you're working in a serverless environment thinking about downstream more with serverless
2: compute, right if it can scale almost you know infinitely in quotes um you gotta worry about downstream services so it's always a gotcha sometimes but i've ran into
1: yeah um so like yeah and and kind of going along those lines um like we've talked a little bit about it some of the limitations um what what are some of the other considerations that um people should be watching out for uh just to to make sure that they um uh they Start successfully, like to ensure their success when just jumping into to Dynamo without having to go back and and redo anything. Like, what would you guys consider um, some some uh, either other gotchas or considerations for somebody who wants to uh, dive into to serverless um, uh, data stores and using them more frequently?
2: Yeah, with with Dynamo, um, like we said, you know, knowing those access patterns. Um, Ahead of time and kind of, you know, walking through them and, you know, thinking about how things might change in the future. You know, we're not over-engineer, but you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot with your, you know, upfront data modeling. Um, there's a great book. I think it's like, just like the DynamoDB book. I don't know exactly what it's called, but uh, it's by Alex Debris. A, it's a great, great read uh, if you're doing any type of um work with Dynamo, especially in, in going over the different ways of doing the data modeling, um, especially around like single table design. Um, so I'd recommend that for anybody getting started.
1: Great, um, let's see. So um, we talked about uh, uh, a little bit in the beginning, we were talking comparing this to um, a more traditional database service. Um, sort of like uh, like RDS, for example. We talked a little bit about database maintenance um, and uh, uh, other uh, um, similar features for something like f- for serverless data stores. Um, how important is it to have uh, a solid backup and disaster recovery plan? Sort of. Uh, I guess we can start with Preston on that one.
0: I mean, imperative. Uh, for any production system, it's it's critical that you have a disaster recovery plan for when your database is when there's going to be an issue. Um, and with with Dynamo, it, it's a little bit handled for you. You can set up automated backups. Um, I, I think it's um, there's a lot more you can do with the Aurora and RDS side to set up replication. Um, I'm not sure if you can set up replication with Dynamo. I think you might be able to, but I haven't done it before. Um, But you certainly have to have those automated backups. You have to have, um, if you need replication, um, have that set up. Uh, And I think, you know, we were talking about the advantages maybe of, quote, serverless data stores. Um, One of the things Amazon likes to push on Aurora is um overall generally they say it's a little bit better than RDS because of the faster recovery to um fail over to a replica um if there is an issue um so you know i think they will say that aurora's maybe a little a bit, little bit better on performance if there is an issue that happens um in-
2: yeah um yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That uh, that recovery time, the way that they do the database, the magic in the in the background, when you do like a point time uh, restore, things like that, it's actually connecting to data that they already have for you. Uh, so it's a lot fast. I don't know the the metrics of it, but it's a lot faster than you know traditional um, data stores where you got to... you know. Fire it back up again, right? Go from a, a an actual backup copy. Uh, whereas yeah, with with AWS and some of their serverless data stores, it's really just, you know, spin up another endpoint that points to somewhere else on your data, like at you know, certain time back. So it makes
1: it a lot faster. Right. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I was hoping to to address because I, I, I wouldn't want somebody to fall into the trap of thinking like, oh, you know, DynamoDB, it's multi-region, everything's, you know, it's it's got, uh, it's serverless, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff at all uh, that I would have to normally worry about with the traditional uh, um, relational database. But um, no, like it's it's something that you have to still uh, take into consideration or, or else, you know, you could run into problems down the road. And, <laughs> and it's nice to have, even just for for peace of mind too, you know like (laughs) to make sure that um your data is is um backed up and recoverable uh in a uh reasonable uh time frame so um but yeah we are getting close to time i I just wanted to make sure we had a little bit of time um to uh have uh if if either of you guys wanted to, to um impart any closing
0: thoughts um preston before we we wrap up for today Closing thoughts would be, Never. if it's, I mean, regardless if it's serverless or not, I, I think it's important when building an architecture to consider all your options, um, not just go with one of them because it's serverless or because it runs on, a, you know, RDS or a server. Um, I, I think there are very important times to use one over the other, as we discussed before. What your design pattern is, what your architecture is, um, but if you yourself. Are starting out with you know development in a serverless environment, definitely give Dynamo uh, a try because it's the cost point right there is, is going to you know is be the best for you. Um, Aurora is going to be a little bit more expensive to get started on, uh, but in a production you know enterprise environment, uh, there's benefits to using both of them, and some it's, it's important to be able to make the decision like we've talked about today.
2: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, you want to leverage the you know highest abstraction that you can, right? That you're working on. Um, so if there's a, a tool out there that does what, you know, you, you used to do, so it's, you move to the cloud, so you don't have to manage the servers and things like that. So j- just going up that abstraction level as high as you can is better, right? And allowing your team to to focus on, um you know providing value to your customers so um so yeah whether it's serverless or you know going down the line if it doesn't meet your needs just try to pick that abstraction layer right that that takes away that undifferentiated heavy lifting that uh, the aws likes to say
1: all right yeah absolutely um so yeah i guess with that we could probably uh wrap up for today uh i just wanted to take the opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in To today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. Um, We hope that you found the conversation uh, informative and valuable, Um, and we'd love to have you join us again for the next episode, uh, with our topic being building a strong SRE culture in an organization. Uh, As always, the episode will feature expert guests and interactive conversations, so be sure to tune in. Um, Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.